the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. That depressingly familiar feeling of deja vu as COVID restrictions are once again tightened has already been felt across the world's 1.6 million seafarers. The latest Omicron variant has delivered the world a rude reminder that the virus's path to becoming an endemic disease is not going to be smooth. But for shipping, there is a real and legitimate fear that unless coordinated action is taken by world leaders, we're going to see a return to the peak of the cruise change crisis back in 2020, where more than 400,000 seafarers were impacted by unnecessarily harsh travel restrictions. Vaccinations for crew are running slightly ahead of the global average, which is good news. But that hasn't been sufficient to stop border restrictions being reimposed. And new measures are once again appearing on a daily basis, with many of the port-level rules changing on an hourly basis as governments struggle to coordinate policy and practicalities. Much of this week's edition of the podcast was recorded on International Human Rights Day, a timely reminder to everybody that seafarers' rights are still being routinely tossed aside, and the workers who have kept the global supply chains moving over the pandemic remain still too far down the list of priorities. We're going to offer you a short status update on seafarers' rights as part of this edition courtesy of the latest report from the NGO Human Rights at Sea and their chief executive, David Hammond. But first, I wanted to get a view on the latest restrictions and the impact that Omicron is already having on the industry. Joining me on the podcast this week, I have podcast regular International Chamber of Shipping Secretary General Guy Platten and the General Secretary of the International Transport Workers Federation, Stephen Cotton. But first, I started by catching up with the outspoken president of ship management body, Intermanager, and chief executive of Columbia, Mark O'Neill. When Mark appeared on the podcast back in May 2020, he described the crewing crisis at that point as being akin to a wartime situation. And he warned back then that there would be no quick fixes. So I started by asking him whether he thought we should be still stealing ourselves for an extended campaign. Like any conflict, uh, it, it changes. But um, I, I'd, I've never gone into COVID thinking it was going to be over in a, a year. I went. I looked in COVID, thinking five years uh, before we, before it becomes like a, a flu virus that we deal with. And and you know we, we're going to get the spikes. We're going to get the variants. We're going to get the frustrations, uh, and uh, we just have to deal with it. I still think the war analogy is a, is, is a good one um, because we have to, um, you know, we, we have to keep, uh, keep ha- this is not something that's going to be over quickly and we've got to be resilient. Pandemics don't die, they fade away, or at least that's what governments are currently hoping will happen in 2022. But in the meantime, there is an immediate threat to deal with. And the emergence of Omicron has been accompanied by a marked deterioration in business sentiment. Our own Lloyd's List Outlook poll indicated last month that the majority of industry expects significant disruption well into 2022, sentiment that's been backed up and reinforced this week by Oxford Economics Global Risk Survey, which concluded that supply chain concerns have indeed now increased. Around one in five businesses now expect disruption to their businesses to persist beyond 2022. Mark O'Neill again. I think the frustrating thing for us as an industry is that we were getting to grips with COVID. Uh, I think we were. Uh, we were seeing vaccination rates uh, really 
increasing and increasing numbers of places around the world that were offering vaccinations to our seafarers and increasing uptake. Um, we're still seeing some East European reluctance uh, uh, to take vaccines, which is something we've got to work on as a, as a sector um, and encourage that. Uh, and Omicron and the effect of Omicron on vaccines or vaccines affect uh, or effectiveness against Omicron has caused caused a sharp intake of breath. Whether it causes us to choke remains to be remains to be seen. Um, we're seeing jurisdictions reel back very quickly whilst they pause to 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 assess the the, the significance of this and and therefore crew rotations are being disrupted again is literally changing by the minute as to what you can do where you can do it and how you can do it that leads to increasing costs that leads to increasing frustrations um both on board and ashore our crew departments are working absolutely round the clock again so lots of these stresses that we were seeing before are now sort of uh coming back um and uh you know it's 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 not just the rules that are changing by the minute, it's the interpretation of the rules. So you can have rules for a particular country, but they're being interpreted differently by different ports within that country and by different officials within those ports within the country. And, and you know, that's the frustrating thing. So we're back to a very fluid situation, but we're also back to yet again having to fight for attention at government level as restrictions are reimposed wiping out some of the more positive discussions and agreements achieved over the past 12 months. I briefly caught up with International Chamber of Shipping Secretary-General Guy Platten for the latest view on how open governments still are to prioritising transport workers amid the current panic. Firstly, I think what we're seeing is countries once again imposing travel restrictions, often at very little or no notice. And that's a real concern for ship owners and ship managers around the world. We've seen new requirements for, for people getting into the Philippines. We've seen other you know, changes at the last minute in the United States in terms of the testing requirement and also in, in Europe as well. So that's a real concern, especially the run up to Christmas about whether crews will be able to get home, whether we'll be able to change crews out. So, you know, we're, we're watching and we're, we're listening. We had a very productive meeting with the uh, Dr. Tedros uh, from World Health Organization and, and Guy Ryder from the International Labour Organization, alongside with colleagues from IATA, that's Willie Walsh and uh, Umberto from the International Road Union and Steve Cotton from the ITF. And we were able to raise our serious concerns about the Omicron variant and the impact it's having on travel. Um, we found we had a good reception from Dr. Tedros. He listened very carefully and understood the real needs of the transport sector and uh, we are going to be setting up a, an action group as a result of all of that to try and take forward a, a, an enhanced and integrated set of protocols across the transport sector. I think there's a realisation that transport workers have been unfairly dealt with. You know, we've been saying this for how many <laughs> since March 2020, but I think coming together as a, as a force it, across the sectors will, will hopefully give us greater leverage going forward. But clearly the Omicron is, is causing great concern that we, we're going backwards. And, you know, I, I certainly had a sense of deja vu last week um, when you just saw these restrictions being imposed. You know, was this March 2020 or was it December 2021? Uh, and something we're going to have to watch very carefully as an industry. We, we are so grateful for what our crews have done and we owe it to them to keep on fighting and this hasn't gone away anytime soon and i can see this we've got months and months and months of this before we're getting anywhere near resolution the frustrations in dealing with this are clear 
I caught up with ITF General Secretary Stephen Cotton, who was in Washington last week as part of a seemingly endless round of talks with association bodies and government representatives as he tries to instill the importance of not introducing knee-jerk reactions and restricting seafarers and transport workers in a way that disrupts shipping operations. The International Chamber of Shipping, the International Transport Workers Federation, the International Road Transport Union and the International Air Transport Association have all joined on have all jointly called on governments not to reimpose border restrictions that further limit the freedom of movement of international transport workers and urge them to learn the lessons of the last two years. Cross-border transport workers, including seafarers and aircrew and drivers, they all must be able to continue to do their jobs without overly restrictive travel rules to keep already ailing supply chains moving. So I asked Stephen whether there was any hope that a more long-term view of the problems could be the one positive outcome of the current situation, or whether he thinks we're doomed to keep repeating the mistakes with each new wave and every variant. We've shown, and you know, you've covered a lot of it, the kind of ongoing work that's taking place with ICS and IMEC in both making sure that seafarers could, could be properly isolated before they join ships and now we're doing everything and had some breakthroughs about getting vaccinations done. That's all been done in partnership. I think we have to reflect, and this has come across to me pretty much more from the financial institutions that our shipping industry is pretty fragmented. So there's a bit of a policy conversation about is it appropriate that everything is subcontracted and that the big retailers use our ships as storage and we've seen it all kind of snarl up because of the very fragile nature. You have a stoppage in China that then rebounds all the way from one part of the world to the other. And then you mentioned the abandonment, highest number ever since we've been recording them and we work again with the ICS and ILO to verify what is an abandonment. If you use the ITF scale, the numbers would be much higher, right? But we agreed a model, but it, there we were on record as this is going to be the worst year ever. So there needs to be more done. But I suppose on the optimistic point on a day like today, when we talk about human rights and you talk about UN institutions and government ratification, the ability for us to collaborate has probably never been better. And we must, and I can call that out onto all of us in the industry, and I've met more ship owners, strangely, through the activities with GMF and, and decision-making at the top of the organisations, who frankly, to me, have expressed their frustration about the situation for seafarers and probably have a different perspective of the ITF as well. Um, we must prepare ourselves for a better kind of industry that does create um, secure employment um, and, you know, it's, it's a strange industry shipping because we kind of all like it and yet it's a bit fragmented in its style. So I think for us, we have to put, we have to work together with all the stakeholders. We have to use all the relationships at IMO and ILO and now Secretary General of the UN who has made pleas for seafarers and conversations we've had with WHO to make sure there is a model that recognises that when the world stops, transportation can't. So somehow we have to build a better model more more responsible, more accountable, more transparent, but in a view that um, we kind of owe it to each other and we owe it to our societies that when the panic button gets pushed and, you know, who knows how long it's going to take us to get through um, COVID and, and what, what 
new standards are going to have to apply. But we must have the intellectual capacity as a group of senior people and a society and an industry to come up with answers. So I think we have to. We can't leave ourselves in such a vulnerable position. Otherwise, we will have we will have a crisis of 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 crewing. We will have a crisis of confidence about securing people who want who want to do this job. And, and you know, just on that more holistic thing, it's a global community, but we are very dependent on some countries, and some of those seafarers in those countries need to be seen not just as people that are, that are left on the ships, but also can be future leaders of those companies. And if if we're to deal with the, the climate challenge and all the challenges we've got there, then we will have to really collaborate really closely. So for me, it's a must. Brilliant question. That idea of collaboration in search of a fairer industry has never really been more important than it is today. On December the 10th, International Human Rights Day, a new report was published highlighting the abuses of seafarers' rights during the pandemic. It covered crew change, of course, and the key worker status issues and contract duration problems that we're all very familiar with. But it also highlighted mental well-being, minimum wage violations, underpayment and non-payment of salary, crew abandonment that is rising to a level unseen in previous years, family impact, the denial of medical care ashore, and vaccination problems. The list goes on. These problems have been exacerbated by the pandemic, but at the same time, we've also seen these issues raised up the agenda to an extent not seen before. And with that in mind, I asked the author of the report, Human Rights at Sea, Chief Executive David Hammond, whether there were any positives we could take away from the fact that seafarers' rights are at least now a visible issue in the industry and beyond. Absolutely. And that's actually the crying shame about this, that um, it's taken, as I've said publicly before this year, in fact, when we started our very first podcast in January of this year, we were talking about the same issues. And we, I said then it's taken a, a pandemic to push the actual human rights of uh, seafarers and their families to the forefront. And, and what we're now looking at is the, the industry as a collective. And, and let's be clear, there, there are bad apples in every industry. We're not tarring everybody with the same brush. And I'd just like to get that across to, to the listenership. But when we're looking at the recommendations that are falling out 12 months after our last podcast, once again, Human Rights to See is calling for greater transparency in the public report of the infringements of seafarers' rights. And that includes the naming of perpetrators. Um, the, the fact that uh, in a piece of work that we did earlier this year, the IMO is very clear in its policy that it does not name perpetrators as a matter of policy, we would say is just part of the problem. The second recommendation is, is the development of, of both independent and internationally recognised databases actually recording abuses at sea. And, and in fact, this morning I was contacted by a major marine insurer um, agreeing with that second point that there's no one location for identifying the level of abuse at sea because it's kept behind the corporate veil. And, and that's interesting coming from a marine uh, insurer. And then finally, it's just this wider engagement that Human Rights C has done and continues to do alongside many other organisations of, of, of the engagements with reportage and data hubs to foster that accountability. Um, we seem to be stuck on a broken record, but we're going to keep driving forward with the same messaging because it just makes sense that an industry that aims to be a leader um, within the sector should be transparent and accountable should be transparent and accountable, certainly. But back to that feeling of deja vu that we're all experiencing, 
The question remains as to whether we are any better prepared for Omicron as a result of the frustrating 18 months the industry has just experienced. David Hammond again. Absolutely. And let's be positive. This isn't all negative. Um, if we're not better prepared, and I say if we, if the industry is not better prepared, then then it is a uh, a bad place to be in. Um, I've spoken to a lot of insurers um, of, of the finance houses as well, um, and also um, in relation to, to, to owners um, and indeed flag states. And nobody had really foreseen this coming. I mean, it was a doomsday scenario. Um, I am convinced everybody is better prepared, but I am not convinced that the lessons are being learned. I'm not convinced that the um, flag state dominance of specific flag states and lack of uh, and impunity rather uh, is not being tackled. Uh, And I'm not convinced that um, we're, we're not going to. I say we, the industry, or some parts of the industry are not going to heave a collective sigh of relief and say, well, we dodged that bullet. Now let's go back to business as usual as we see record profits being made. But still, um, we're fighting for, as we're doing now in Australia, maritime levy changes in legislation on a shoestring. Um, So there is still a a huge challenge to, to... Let's use the UK government's um, language of levelling up. And that's it for another week. Check out loyslist.com for more in-depth coverage of the impact of Omicron restrictions on transport and supply chain, including a more detailed look at the Human Rights at Sea report, which I'd urge everybody to take a look at. We're going to be back for one more edition before the podcast disappears for a well-earned festive break. And then we'll be joining you for a new year of insight and interviews in 2022, and our weekly schedule will be resumed. For now, though, thank you for listening and have a good week. 